Good morning, everyone. Our passage this morning is from Luke chapter 13, verses 10 to 17. Luke 13, 10 to 17. Uh, and the title I've been given is Jesus Heals a Woman on the Sabbath. But I think it could just as easily be entitled Jesus Completely Ruins the Worship Service. So let's read it. Luke 13, 10 to 17. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, there are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered him, you hypocrites, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her. When he said this, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. This is, perhaps unsurprisingly, the last time Jesus is recorded as being in synagogue. After all, it's not really the way you want to behave if you're going to get invited back. And there is in the passage this obvious and very stark contrast between the reactions of the religious leaders and the way the ordinary people react. The leaders were, let's be honest, angry and humiliated because Jesus had called out the hypocrisy. He, Jesus, was a threat to the status quo, so he had to go. The status quo, the system, was their religion. And for some of them at least, probably like this man, the purpose of the system had long been forgotten. The people, on the other hand, were delighted because he noticed the poor and the weak, because he genuinely cared. And they did something about the problem. So let's start with the reaction, because that's the most striking part of this story, I think. And the reaction, of course, completely ignores the woman and her needs and the wonderful healing that happens. And after the healing, she really isn't in the story at all. She just became the case for an, a theological argument an example of something with which to attack Jesus. I think about the mildest thing you could say about this is that it's a serious lack of emotional intelligence. But it's in many ways far more serious than that. How did these people, well-trained, theologically educated, experienced leaders, miss the point quite so spectacularly. 
you have to say it happens and it still happens. Many years ago when I was a student, and that is many years ago, um, some of us helped at a youth club in inner city Manchester. It was on a council estate. Most of the kids had some sort of criminal record. And, and I regard doing that once a week as part of my education. Um, we gained respect by playing British Bulldog, um, which you probably aren't allowed to do anymore, certainly not in the way we did it, which was uh, one be beanbag, two teams, us and them, uh, and the goal was to get the beanbag to the other end of the room, and that was pretty much where the rules ended. Um, they did have criminal records, but we were middle class, better fed, and generally healthy because we didn't smoke and eat badly, and so forth. So we gained a little bit of respect by uh, damaging a few bodies along the way. Don't try this at home, certainly not in the youth club at the moment. It's probably illegal on several different levels. But it was fun. It really was fun. Except that on a Sunday evening, the church that this youth club was part had its gospel service once a week where someone would stand up and faithfully, and they were faithful, preach the gospel. And that worked until some of these kids came, as from time to time they did. They turned up in the service where they didn't know how to behave. Uh, they talked to one another and giggled. And as a result, just before the gospel was about to be preached, they were asked to leave. Strange, isn't it? The only non-Christians who ever darkened the door of this service were without fail, regularly asked to leave before the gospel was preached. It's missing the point. It's kind of spectacularly and completely missing the point that the people who needed the message were, because they hadn't learnt how to behave in church yet, asked to leave. And we went to leave with them and chatted to them on the church wall most Sunday evenings. The thing is, the people who did this were good people. They had just somehow got blown so far off course, they couldn't quite recognise the absurdity of what they were doing. And that's what the religious leaders of Jesus' day had become like. William Barclay in his commentary describes them as people who loved systems more than they loved people. And again, we are constantly in peril, he says, of loving systems more than we love God and more than we love men and women. And if that happened then, and it still sadly seems to happen now, how does it happen? I'm sure people don't wake up one morning and think, how can we be so really stupid that history remembers us as utter hypocrites? I don't think anyone does that, do they? Remember, this happens to good people, perhaps in some ways, in some circumstances, to people like us. So how does it happen? Well, I suspect it usually happens as a slow drift rather than a dramatic change. If you set off in a plane from London to go to America, 
and you're just one degree off course, you'll be hundreds of miles adrift by the time you hit the United States. And I think that's what happens here, that the convictions we have become rules and systems which in themselves are not necessarily bad. But then maintaining those ways of doing things starts to become the key issue. It becomes everything. The point gets lost. And what you see with this particular group of Pharisees is a kind of groupthink where everybody thinks the same way about what the important issues are where conformity is valued more than anything and where awkward voices have to be silenced rather than listened to. And it has to be says, like Christian groups today, they become tribal and nobody anymore asks, why do we do that? I mean, it's, it's remarkable. You have a spectacular public healing during your service and instead of the meeting taking off with gratitude to God, awareness of his power, it just becomes an argument. That's seriously missing the point. Somehow their thinking had gone all wrong and Jesus corrects them. He embarrasses them with his knowledge of scripture. They had proof texts, they had key things they would jump to, but Jesus grasps the key issues that God is concerned with the health and healing and salvation of individual human beings. Jesus simply understands the scriptures better than men. Right thinking matters because it shapes our behaviour. And we're challenged here not to have less theology, but better theology, to have more rather than less depth. So that's the reaction. What about the healing? Where did the woman go in the story? She is very quickly forgotten. So let's remind ourselves of the, well, it's only two verses that describe the healing. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her and immediately she straightened up and praised God. It's wonderfully simple and powerful. And Jesus' focus is entirely on this woman, this one ordinary member of the congregation. He calls her forward, lays hands on her, and there's immediate healing. I mean, the meeting should have taken off. I remember many years ago, we just helped plant a church. And in one meeting, we were about to start the service. And this wonderful lady who'd been a, a missionary to the troops in the Middle East said, Anne, do you mind if I say something before we start? I said, well, sure. And she stood up and she said, uh, I have been praying for my sister every day for 50 years. That in itself kind of made everyone gulp. 
And she said, yesterday, my sister told me she'd become a Christian. I can tell you, we had the best time of worship after that news. You couldn't help but rejoice. But these guys managed to help to stop, to utterly crush the whole thing. So Jesus is focused on the woman. Somehow he picks her out from this group of people and says exactly the right thing. The woman, well, all we know about her is she listened to Jesus and did what he said. So she clearly knew more about discipleship than all the religious leaders. That's surely the essence of discipleship. You hear what Jesus says and you put it into action. The healing, though, is slightly strangely described. A woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. That's, I think, the first time, the only time I can think of where someone's difficulty has been described in that way. And the way Jesus deals with it in healings is usually different every time. If you notice that, the variety of the way Jesus does things. And we sometimes have this habit of trying to reduce things to a formula. Let me give you a lovely example. I was reading the commentaries um, in preparation for this, and one of them, uh, the author shall be nameless to protect the guilty, he says this, we know that Jesus doesn't ever lay hands on people with evil spirits. So he must have cast the demon out before he lays hands on her. Sorry? Jesus doesn't ever lay hands on people with evil spirits, apart from in this story. But this story doesn't fit with my theory about how this kind of ministry happens. So I have to read something else into the story so that it fits with my understanding. The system overrules the text. That's a dangerous place to go, I think. We easily slip into these kind of logical fallacies where we have a theory and we read that into the text, and then we generalise from the particular. And really, when you start to look at the way Jesus does things, it doesn't fit into that kind of system. And once you go there, you have to discard the biblical evidence that doesn't fit. All we know here is that in this case, there's a spiritual reason for the physical illness. And Jesus deals with it very simply by laying on hands. Doesn't mean all illnesses have spiritual causes. It doesn't mean in every situation of healing you have to deal with it this way. The key surely is to listen to the person and also to listen to the Lord and hear what he's saying. So let me conclude with this. I think this story gives us enormous hope. But in this time of great controversy, where the religious leaders are after Jesus to get him, his focus is entirely on this one needy individual. 
So take encouragement from this, that God notices ordinary people and can bring healing. But there's also a challenge, isn't there? It's easy to read a story like this and think that the religious leaders were just idiots. How could they not see this? And I suspect the answer is in the same way that there are things that we do that are complete blind spots for us. That others might think, how can they do that? So here's the challenge. What are my blind spots? What are our blind spots? What are the truths in scripture that we just miss spectacularly? Let's pray for one another now. Father, we thank you that you notice our needs. You don't just deal with the important, the intelligent, the well-off. You see us and you speak to us individually. And Father, we also pray for one another that where we're missing the point where we have blind spots, that you'd ease us back towards faithfulness and a true understanding. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.